0: Hey, how are you doing? Um, thanks for listening, clicking, downloading, whatever. Um, very much appreciate it, I hope everyone's well and um, everything's good in your lives. Um, this is the first podcast for a while and it all—it may sound like I'm recording this in a toilet, I'm not. Um, I am uh, in uh, the living room of a place in uh, Portugal where we are for a few days, trying to get some sun and relaxation. Oh, look at him in Portugal, hey? Um, uh yeah so it might sound like i'm in the toilet i'm not there's just a lot of um cool marble uh, on the floor and um, it's it's uh, it's quite an open space so um apologies <laughs> i'm not definitely sitting in the toilet and um, recording this um i won't want to put that image in your head so um yes hope everyone's well this episode is with uh someone who i hugely admire and um, respect and um, someone I have a great uh, joy of working with, um, Damien Reese who's co-founder of Experience UX. Um, and I know a lot of you guys who listen to this um, know of Experience UX and, and um, have an equal amount of respect for them and what they do. Uh, I'm really lucky to, to do some work with them. Um, and I've been wanting to talk to Damien on the podcast for quite a while now. And um, we finally managed to, to pull everything together and, and get it done over lunch a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm going to get him on again. Um, and I'm hoping to get Damien on with a couple of other guys on a, on a kind of roundtable discussion sometime in the future. Um, so we talk about uh, quite a few things around uh, uh, the human at the centre of a lot of user experience and customer experience. Um, the, 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 the challenges of making connection between business and individuals through digital channels. Uh, and also we, uh, we look at more uh, uh, matters of the ego and of the personality as well. So I hope you enjoy it and um, I'll come back to you uh, at the end. Cheers. Right, this is the proper one now, no more dry runs. Okay. Um, (laughs) So, I would have done the introduction, but who are you? (laughs) What are you, as usual, what are you doing here?
1: (laughs) Um, I always find it quite hard to answer what I do, but who (laughs) am I? Is um, Damien, I'm Damien. Um, I'm co-founder and more like an operations director these days of Experience UX. Um, And what we do as a company is all sorts of stuff Mm. that I always find it quite difficult to define. Um, But I think ultimately we try and focus on the relationship or the interaction between humans and businesses. So I think we're broader than just UX these days. Mm. Uh, And it's looking at the wider interaction that a business has um, with a customer And we want to be involved in any of those interactions. So whereas in the past we've just done the UX of a website, for example, I think now we're looking much more about the relationship um, between that person and that business and how we can affect that.
0: So one of the things that we've talked about, and I know quite a few people who for some reason listen to this, the whole UX CX. -hmm. Relationship. It's interesting you use the word relationship. So what what is involved in a relationship between a business and a customer or a user? Um, Because my my experience is that sometimes people get confused between what an experience Mm -hmm. is and what a transaction is. Mm -hmm. Where where do you see the stuff that that we do here at EUX? Where do you see that? How do you
1: see that bridging that gap? Um, I don't honestly know mm-hmm. if I am honest. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of terms going around with the CX with the UX mm-hmm. um, that there's just no clear definition of what that really means. but I think when you look at a relationship between a customer and a business, it can span so many touch points, so many interactions and, and again, I'm, I'm trying to avoid the term touch point yeah. because I think it's again a bit, misused and a bit muddied and I think it's more than just a call center, for example. it's just it's an interaction yeah um, so that relationship can be short-lived, it can be intense, it can be full of highs and lows and I think that it's a complex relationship sometimes it can be really good the relationship between a business and a customer. Um, but I think ultimately where it doesn't work very well is where customers aren't really seen as human beings by the business. And, you know, we've all sat in meetings where we've got people in a business or a client organisation who talk about customers as um, numbers, Mm. they're they're just data, they're they're X number of people who are going through the registration process or X number of people who've made a claim or whatever it is. And that can be very dehumanising and I think our job is to put the human back into that relationship and, and highlight the fact that actually, all of these people sat around this table are people who interact with businesses and get pissed off when they can't do stuff and get fed up when the, the business doesn't respond in, in a respectful way. And they don't like being treated like a number and yet they're quite comfortable to do that to other people mm. in a business context. Mm. Um, I think I've lost complete sight of what your
0: question was. No, but it was interesting because you were talking about human. I heard a uh, client the other day, a client of a client the other day, use the old Henry Ford. Yes, that
1: reminds me of that does.
0: Yeah, so um, <laughs> there is a balance in certain customers and certain markets where there's a risk that the human the customer is nothing more than lip service and mm-hmm. um, they've already decided what they are going to do. And um, so how does that balance work between because in some ways, right, in some ways, there is a um, a brilliant idea that comes out of a business. Sometimes we can do this in a certain way, and we're going to plow, plow on regardless. Mm-hmm. And you know, the Henry Ford thing, okay, fair enough, you know, he came up with the idea or the kind of proposition for the Model T. Um, and he did drag customers along with him and you could argue that's what Amazon are doing with Alexa and Google are doing no one really needs those things mm-hmm. but they're dragging them along so how, how do how do you get the human or the business to really understand that it's all about the customer all about the human at the center of the because it's a difficult we both mm-hmm. struggled with it and I
1: had you yep um again I don't know the answer mm. I think you have to look at I really like the sense and response stuff that um, the guys have now at Lean UX been doing, and they talk about this two-way relationship, two-way communication between a customer and a business, yeah. and how, um, you know, the car industry, for example, it seems we're on board. Um, it's I don't think he actually said that quite No, well. oh, no. no I know. I sort of think people sort of mis- misread that or misquote it. Uh, secondly, um, they look at the car industry and, and the car industry is around this whole idea that they come up with a new car and every um, car season they launch the new car on the public and the public pretty much just lap it up or they don't. Yeah. And it's, it's, a risky, it's a risky business because some cars flop and some don't. And, and how Tesla have come along completely revolutionized that mm. because what they've come up with is more of a software based car. Um, And they can release software overnight and change that car and the way you interact with it. And um, they gave an example of a guy who tweeted Elon Musk, saying, um, you know, the problem with all of the PowerPoint, you know where you connect Yeah, chargers. uh, The chargers, yeah. 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 So they're all basically people are parking up, charging their car, and going off for two or three hours, you know, shopping. And actually, the car's done within a certain amount of time. Mm. And so the problem is, is that people are just sitting on those, those charging points and, and not allowing other people in. And so the next day, uh, they rolled out a change to that so that basically, you would get charged by the minute after the point at which your car's charged. Okay. Right. And Elon Musk replied to that guy and said, you're absolutely right. We've changed the software. From now on, this is what's going to happen. And that's completely different. Completely different model of communication between a car company and, and its customers. Yeah, and how really that relationship of a two-way is quite foreign to most companies. Hmm. Most of our clients are quite find it difficult hmm. because ultimately they are used to coming up with a new product and rolling it out, and you know hoping for the best. And they do some a bit of intelligence. They do a bit of um, research in vertical commerce, which really just proves right. It does not research that we would, might do where we actually go objectively to understand customers and the problems they're having. And yeah. They go out to pretty much prove the point they had uh, or prove the idea. Um, and, and that's not two way dialogue. So again, I think I've probably lost sight of the question. But I think the two way dialogue is what we are trying to push our clients to do. Because really, I think businesses are changing and customers are changing and the way in which we expect to interact with companies and organisations, we do expect to influence things, we do expect to have our say. And when we can't, do we vote with our feet? I think, I think we probably are starting to.
0: Can I ask a question on that then? It's interesting because if you think about tech Tesla, let's stick with the cars for, 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 for a minute. So, so he's able to do that, respond in, in such a way, and change um, his product um, because of software, because of tech. And actually, that's directly changing his customer's behavior. Mm-hmm. He's directly stopping them parking their car there for longer than they should or longer than they need to. If, if we look at the car insurance industry, where they're using technology to that box monitor track, um, and um, there they are influencing customers' behaviour directly. Yeah. Influencing customers' behaviour is that's is that a two-way dialogue, or is that no. yeah? And, 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 and that's, yeah, and oh. that's where yeah, that, that's an, that's something I'm trying to unpick at the moment. Um, yeah, is that because c- c- it's being sold as? Dare I say it, that word that mean you don't like hugely personalization. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually it's it, it's quite repressive in a way. What yeah. do you think about what do you think about that use of tech in terms of changing an experience but by changing someone's
1: behaviour? Is that, yeah, is that I, very human? I think, I think as I said, I think look at the intent behind that. So the intent mm-hmm. behind Tesla is to create a good customer experience and and, and create a car that you don't need to keep trading in mm. it, it's not a you know this model's out of date next <laughs> year it's a, it's a you buy a tesla and it's a it's an experience that you keep on giving effectively it is a piece of software and can be updated um so i think if you look at the car insurance industry the reason why they're doing that is because they don't want to pay out our claims mm. you know is, the intent is completely different they want to save money by changing our behavior mm. same as the um Health insurance business well, who want to make you healthy because obviously you're low, you're lower risk. Mm-hmm. Um, same as why they, um, the car insurers want you to effectively buy, you know, really tiny little engine, poop around town cars mm. because you're less risk. Mm. You know, and, and that that's the intent is to save them money effectively.
0: So. If we if we move well, if we take that to the next level we think about the way that you know we, we've worked on projects where we want to increase conversions we want to get people to potentially buy things that they may not have previously been aware they wanted to buy
2: mm-hmm.
0: not pers- not manipulation but the right side of that manipulation and persuasion line is that does that feel to you as like a human focused driver?
1: No,
2: No.
1: I don't think we're really involved in many if any of those projects actually. Um,
0: But we've come across them in the past. Sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Sure. No, I think I think the focus on human is more about we've said I've said this phrase quite a lot but life's complicated enough. Mm. And we've all got stuff we need to get done and, and We've got kids screaming. We've got we're late for meetings. You know, we're late for appointments. Just rock up to the the car park and we put the money in the machine and the, it's just not working. Or we press the wrong button and then we're screwed. There's no undo feature. Yeah. I think being human or focusing on the human is, is acknowledging where customers are coming from, acknowledging real life. Yeah. Um, and finding a path between what customers need what the business wants them to do and finding a way of making it work. Yeah. Um, you know, we've all got problems mm. that we have to solve in life, and if the business has a solution to that problem, mm-hmm. it's not about forcing that solution down our throats, it's about showing us that actually this pro- this problem that we have in day-to-day life could be solved by this solution and, and here's a good way of making that match. Yeah. And and I think that's where traditional marketing and advertising and well, that is really very broken at the moment, um, because it just doesn't work anymore. I think we see through all that crap. Yeah. But when um, organisations can show us that, yeah, we've got busy lives. Yeah, life's difficult. But actually, if you do this, well, we can get this to you a bit easier. So, Lemonade is something we've talked about before, yeah. the insurer in the US, and that's exactly what they've done. They focused on the human. They focused on the problem with insurance companies and trust. And they've looked at how can we get people to get their claim quickly and easily, with the least hassle possible. And that's what they've done. Monzo is similar, where they didn't go out to deliver a technical solution necessarily. They looked at what's the problem for customers in the banking industry? How can we solve that? How can we provide a service where there is a bit more of a Mm. two-way? And both Lemonade and Monzo, if you look at their Twitter feed, they're not not a one-way broadcast. No. They are seeking feedback. Yeah. They do want to know what works for you, what doesn't work for you, where can we save you time and energy, and by the way, this is the good we've been doing for society, and this is the other stuff. And that feels much more of a human relationship. It's a bit of a give and take. It's yeah. an acknowledgement. It's a bit of almost a bit of an acknowledgement of vulnerability. Um, I don't know if you've seen Brené Brown stuff, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, I think there's a, an element of that in, in these brands where to be a proper human-centred brand, you kind of have to acknowledge that you're not perfect. You don't have it all right. You could be making mistakes. You are rolling things out that maybe not perfect, but your intent is to build the bridges in that relationship and get it right in the long term. Yeah. And I think people are much more accepting of that than the brands who are coming out going, we've got it perfect. It's, we've got this amazing product going to change your life and then you sign
0: up and share. Don't you think that's, going back to an, an earlier contributor to this podcast, <laughs> um, uh, Dave mentioned that there are certain companies who take that approach, which is, this is us, we're big enough. We're big enough to, and I suppose in, in effect, Google and Facebook are getting to that stage. Maybe they've lost a little bit of that. I think they've definitely lost that relationship building, that focus on relationship building with customers. Dave was saying that that sometimes organisations are too big to worry about that or or, or they'll cope with it and then they'll just hoover up the Monzo's and they'll hoover up the the lemonades and they'll consume them and they'll continue their market growth and then the customer gets forgotten about and that's an inevitable life cycle of, Mm -hmm. do you think that's changing? Do you think that there is the opportunity for businesses such as Monzo and Lemonade and others to really kind of properly shake up I'm not talking disruptor mode because disruptor is just the word I think to get investment and then continue to lose money mm-hmm. but as Spotify have done and as, as Lemonade are doing in the States for those businesses that really do focus on that relationship do you see do you see any examples potentially of real success at the where it really will scare the incumbents, where you know Amans are really going to scare Barclays and NatWest and Lloyds mm-hmm. and HSBC. I
1: think they are scaring them. Do you think so? I think if you look at the is
0: it changing their behaviour? Do you think is it changing?
1: I don't know if it's changing their behaviour mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. I think it is scaring them. Yes. Because it's a new beast. It's a it's a new way of thinking that is quite different. I think what we've seen, particularly with millennial um, mindset hate that term so i I kind of kick myself every time i use it but there is a sense i think in in recent generations that actually they want to work with companies that have a heart and soul yeah they want to work with brands or you know vote with their feet you know it's why tom's are so successful in the shoe sort of industry i think there are a lot of brands out there that are capturing hearts and minds because Mm. they have a heart Mm. and i think people would actively vote to buy from those companies because of that mm. and are starting to shun the big players mm. because they don't give a shit mm. you know um i think there's certain marketplaces like um telecoms and broadcasting where you don't have a lot of choice mm. you know bt for example uh, a bit of a pet peeve of mine <laughs> um, the, it's kind of difficult to avoid them Mm. i can avoid them and i have done for many years Um, but there's only a couple of decent players out there and Mm. they all run on the bloody bt system anyway so it's great to get away from so i think that but where there's more choice where banking is definitely opening up i really do think that the barclays should be scared Mm. they might not be Mm. although they they, i think they probably are a little Mm. because they don't totally understand it they're probably reacting by setting up those innovation labs and yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, innovation teams to go and disrupt the market um, but I think until they find their heart and soul business until they dial it back to focusing on real people mm. I don't think they're going to solve that problem mm. and I think other companies like Monzo will grow because of that mm. I think they's point understood it right was eventually monzo will get to a size where they can't help but not give a shit about customers yeah. anymore yeah who knows yeah. like you know we, d- we don't really have many of those models around to, to know that um i think if you look at some of the good to great to, to the companies in the good to great book i don't know if you've seen that series, a lot of them aren't around so much anymore where they were set out to be a bit more heart and soul and big picture stuff and they kind of lost their way a little bit so I think there could well be an element of to that mm. but only time will tell
0: it's capitalism
1: really yeah,
0: isn't it it is. comes down to that once you start making money you want to make more
1: I think there's also coming back to that other idea that looking at um, the board is as you so let's say you're a board member of Bar Place. Mm. when was the last time you spoke to a Really, you know, when when was the last time you stood in a branch and really listened to what was going on? Probably a bloody long time ago. Mm. And so I think there's an element of that. The leadership gets so disconnected over time, the bigger your company grows, from the actual customers and the actual humans that use that that product or service, that it's very hard for them to connect on an emotional level anymore. Mm. And they do just see people as data. and it is dehumanising. and I I think that's sort of inevitable. I think um, I did an interview with Gerald Spool, actually. Um, If you don't know who he is, look him up, because he's a bit of a founding father of UX, really, along with Don Norman. Um, A very sensible, you know, lots lots of good opinions. Um, And one of the things he said to me is that when he goes and consults with companies, and he consults with big companies, well, the first thing he, he does is look at their culture and try and get them all to have a number of hours' exposure with real customers. Mm. And so I think he's got a model of something like six hours every quarter or something like that. Um, and I know Royal Mail do, or used to, anyway, a lot of their the people in head office had to spend at least a day in a local post office. Mm. I don't know how often, mm. but once a quarter, let's say. And I think that model works because it reminds people, it reminds those people in the boardroom treating people as numbers that actually, you know, the little old ladies at the post office probably won't engage with that product in the way that you think they might do. Mm. And that exposure to real people is essential to retain your perspective on the world and, and retain that heart and soul, if you like. So I think if the Monzo's grow and they continue on their path of two way dialogue, they have to implement a a few cultural decisions within that organisation to ensure there is that client or customer contact um, in the higher ups.
0: And do you think that so 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 with that in mind, if, if we're thinking about the Monzo's and the Lemonade's, they've used so there's two, two kind of questions, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. So, so the first one is they've used, it sounds a terribly kind of trite way of saying it, but they've used standard technology to a certain extent, i.e. the web, mm-hmm. to um, engage with their customers. And yet they use, I hate the term AI, but they basically use algorithmic models mm-hmm. and, and just pump out information. What, where, in terms of... Looking for projecting forward, and that's quite difficult. What technology do you think, and what type of experiences do you think the future monzos and lemonades, the ones, that go, the, the next generation, if you will, of relationship building businesses, how how are, how are the way they interact with customers, how is that going to change as technology becomes more advanced? Is it going to be? Do you still see a space for um, screen? relationships to be built? Is it going to be more audio? Is it going to be more you know it talks about some of the health insurers with wearables and that kind of stuff. Where do you think looking at getting that balance between business to human relationship and also the speed of technology is not going to slow down, is it? Where mm. where do you think how do you think experiences are going to change and where do you think the successes are going to come from? Tricky question, just landed no, that on you. Sorry. You.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, my is probably, I don't know. Um, I think where I would see, or what I see at the moment, I just see getting more um, growing, I suppose, that gap growing between, you've got two different types of organizations. You've got the Mondo's and the Lemonade's, like I said, we are focused on the human problem. So what problems are people having? And then you've got other, plenty of other organizations going, well, what cool new technology can we implement mm-hmm. today? <laughs> you know in the AI, let's pull in the virtual reality. Let's. I saw this thing the other day where um, in-flight entertainment is moving to a big push to do VR. So they're looking at getting VR headsets on, headsets on flights so um, people can sort of visualize the destination they're going to and this kind of stuff. And I just looked at it and just thought, what, why? <laughs> why would I want to do that on a flight? I'd much rather sit there with a rum and coke. Yeah. <laughs> or, or even look out the window a little yeah, bit. Like, yeah. I just don't understand. And that is that is a marketing department, or a, I don't know what department, who have gone, oh, well, VR's really cool, and everyone's scrabbling to get on that train, so let's just do that. So I think there's a, that, that will happen more and more as people jump on the technology bandwagon. There's going to be more cool technologies out there, holographics and all sorts of other stuff. And I think you will have that split between companies jump on technology for the sake of it and companies who focus on the human and use technology to enhance that interaction and relationship. Mm. And I can only see one winner in that, and, and that is the latter. Um, but who knows? You know, I'm no
0: futurist. Although for someone who doesn't know, you do know quite a lot yeah, <laughs> every question you've gone down now yes. and then you've come up with some great answers yes. and, and I just want to touch on that marketing angle um, because you wrote a piece a little while ago about what the internet in inverted commas has become mm-hmm. and it is very marketing influenced In a in a negative way but do you want to because mm. I was Thought it was a really good piece, and I just want yeah, to I of think it was a, bit more about a, about a rant actually. Oh yeah, no yeah but else. I didn't want to say the word rant. No. but it was, <laughs> it was
1: a rant about how the internet is broken, um, and I was putting together a talk actually that I delivered recently, and I was doing some research on it, and I was trying to look into interestingly touch on it here about um, how big data actually depersonalizes people and what was the influence of that and. I was linking it to Trump and a lot of his stuff, and it was all getting quite big, and, but interesting. I, I thought. And what I found was that I was hitting website after website after website at, on this search for um, you know in-depth articles to to back up this idea that I was having, or was formulating. And what I was receiving was a barrage of cookie consent uh, data opt-ins, um, advertising. Um, paywalls, um, the, uh, what's what they call the advertising blockers that come up and say, you're using an ad blocker, you can't see this content, so yep. you enable it, then you enable it, and then you get a full page ad straight away, then you get a video that follows you around the screen that you can't seem to get rid of, and all the while, I'm fighting these distractions to actually get to the content that I wanted, and finding this isn't what the internet was designed for. No. This has so much potential as a, you know, a library information style tool, and yet it's being broken by, you know, the EU's data data pol- cookie policies, the GDPR, which has good intentions. Mm. Um videos and advertisers just shoving shit down our throats that we don't really want mm. and then sort of chastising us having ad blockers on yeah um, and and organization trying to get us to pay for their content but they haven't thought about ways of delivering mm. the content so it feels like the internet is going through this period right now where it's really struggling and and i for one am struggling to engage with it mm. um and and if anything my my zone of influence and my the sources that I use are becoming more restrictive yeah. because I don't really want to yeah. ad blockers and cookies I don't want to constantly opt in and opt out and all that sort of shit yeah. I just want to read content so if anything I'm, I'm narrowing. Listening, yeah. narrowing my field of vision which can't be a good thing um, For,
0: which is what Trump, if we go back to him yeah. it's what he played on, no, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah it's, it's, the, it's, the th- it's the echo chambers of the Facebooks and. Um, yeah, so I do strongly believe it's broken. I don't have the solution, mm. um, which I guess is part of the problem, isn't it? Mm. That we might all see it, but none of us know how to fix it. But I do think that fundamentally, the internet, as it stands at the moment, needs to change.
0: It's interesting. I'll, I'll talk, well, you know, I totally agree, and a lot of people who listen to this know I, know my thoughts on it. But there's 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 something I've been looking at. And the technology's been around for a while now, it's, it's, it's um, everyone's probably knows about it, it's solid, it's Tim Berners-Lee's new project. Which is, um, in effect, rather than users going to services and asking for access, it turns the relationship the other way. So you might go to a website, but the service will come to you and ask you for data mm-hmm. to enable it to show information to you that you might want. Yep. But you own that content, and you own your data, and it can only use that data once to give you access, and then it, you know. And, and whether that's ultimately will be successful, but it does show a slightly different way of thinking. And, and I quite like that. And you can decouple your, you own your data, it becomes a currency. You can decouple your data from any service that you use at any time. Mm-hmm. Now, right with the current web and the internet, that's only going to have a limited amount of success because of the way cookies work and all that kind of stuff. But if there is another option or another way, that's it, there's something in it, you know. There's something in When people start to realise mm-hmm. how much money is being made from their data without their knowledge, it mm-hmm. might. But like you said, right, we're in it. We know it's broken, but we can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, half an hour gone. See? So I went quickly, didn't it? Mm-hmm couple more questions yeah. right? Um, These are a bit more um specific oh no I'm specific um a couple of i listened to an Al- alan Order. you remember alan Order out of mash mm-hmm. yeah so he does a podcast now he's a, he's a he's got a doctorate in the states i think he's um he focuses on communication and he's got really good podcasts very relaxed as you'd imagine and he talks about how uh, how to effectively communicate with people and one question he asks of all his Guests is um, is what do you really wish you understood? Well, no, as we're sitting question. here now, it is a good question, and yeah. it, it changes. But what is there? Is there something as you sitting here now that you think, God, I'd really, really like to understand that? And it might change tomorrow because <laughs> something goes But it always makes me think. But I, I don't mm. know what.
1: It's a great question. Yeah, I wish I had a more intelligent answer. Yeah, but. First thing that jumps into my mind that's not re- releasing from it is the motivations of other people.
0: Yeah, it's but I was thinking the ego. I would love to understand what hmm. what is an ego, <laughs> but yeah, the the.
1: The thing we we talk a lot, and we've been talking to our clients a lot recently about intrinsic motivation. Hmm. So the difference between extrinsic being uh, rewarded for you know things. Hmm. Re- being rewarded for a behavior rather Mm. than intrinsic where you are sort of self-rewarding based on you know you're doing it for a bigger cause and I guess I'm kind of aware that a lot of people don't know their intrinsic motivations Mm. and so if they don't know them how am I supposed to know them and yet I feel like it's such an important question when you come to looking at that relationship for example between a customer and a business because If the business can't predict and understand people's intrinsic motivations to using a service Mm. or product, then they can't fully create that relationship as a kind of, you know, a a really positive, impactful one. Mm. And yet, it seems like such an important thing to understand for us to design those relationships and to build on things, but also just in personal everyday life, you know, in supporting my team grow. Mm. I can really understand what's driving their motivations, and I can help them. Yeah. Um, so it's one that, I suppose I've always been fascinated with people, and that's why I do what I do. Yeah. Um, and it's one that's always fascinated me, you know, watching serial killer shows and, you know, what, what drives that motivation? Because we sort of think we know, but we don't really know. And there's no real way of properly knowing. Mm. So for me, that's something that I would like to yeah. understand.
0: That's great. Yeah, it's, it's the, for me, it's the ego. I, w- I want to know if I could understand what is an ego really, and how it comes to pass, and how do you how did how did they get overblown, and how mm-hmm. do they influence decisions really, and and how, how do you cut them to size? Anyway, yeah, that's that's my just, just on
1: that, I was listening to yeah. a really good podcast this morning. Um, Design Matters interviewing Brené Brown. Yeah, and she. people need the power and where yeah. that comes from really good so oh, really I'll have a listen to it. yeah that. recommend that. that that goes some way to understanding a little bit behind ego um but but where you know people drive the power comes from a powerlessness and where where that comes
0: from quite interesting I'll have a listen is there anything else you're reading or listening to at the moment that you would recommend M- music books yeah. culture or anything like Price, that because yeah, I know you're into quite a few things yeah
1: I try and listen to podcasts every day on the way to work or an audiobook mm. um, I keep coming back to Tim Ferriss yeah I think his yeah. interviews are great I think all of that stuff is just brilliant yeah um, I actually occasionally drop into Harvard Business Review they've got a good podcasts uh-huh. some of their stuff's quite good There's quite a good one on the four types of conflict okay the other day, which I used in a team session. Yeah. Um, are really good, it just helps you kind of depersonalize the conflict that you're having and yeah. actually look at what are we disagreeing over the task or the process or some or the status um, of who owns this, which is sort of really useful. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do listen to lots of stuff and, and I read quite a lot of stuff, but I find I dip in and out a lot. Mm. I find I get half through an audio book and I'm a bit like, Yeah. I'm a bit bored of this now. Need something else. (laughs) So, podcasts for me are bite sized chunks that I can listen to from work in a day Mm. and get pretty much everything I need from it. Mm. Um, And I look at lots of different sources, most of which just get my brain thinking. So, you know, there's no one source for me, but I do keep coming back to Tim Ferriss.
0: Tim Ferriss. It's interesting. Someone once said to me, um, I was too thoughtful. Sometimes you know, oh, you're too thoughtful, and the irony of that is not lost on me. <laughs> how can you be too? How can you think too much mm-hmm. about stuff? Um, and, and I think you're quite, you're quite similar. You're a thinker, and you do kind of go through things, and you do kind of work out puzzles in your head before you start laying the pieces down. And, and this is another question that that Alan Aldo asks around when you're dealing with customers in the main who just want to jump Mm -hmm. ahead and just want to kind of keep um, jumping in or interrupting and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we've all had them. Um, How do you how do you deal with that? How do you stop somebody who's, should we say, uh, a client that's a bit more forceful, maybe doesn't think as much? How do you how do you stop them talking? And how do you because I think you're one of the best guys at being able to goes off from met. being able to just kind of slowly turn there how do you how okay. do well, it
1: okay i'll deal with the first bit. The, bit the bit that you mentioned about being too thoughtful i think mm. there's a difference between thinking things through and ruminating yeah, and yeah. ruminating is where the negative bit is that yeah. you're just going over and over and over and then it gets unhealthy yeah um but analysis and deep thought is definitely not the negative so I guess it, challenging somebody who just wants to go ahead and get shit done—you uh, know—I can empathize mm. with that situation. So if, I think that's probably first. I get frustrated when I've been banging on about something and we still haven't made it happen. Yeah. And then I get to a point where it's just, why is nobody listening to mm. me? And I think that is the em- empathy bit, which is—is is this person feeling like no one's listening? Mm. Can I show that I've listened? Mm. Yeah, I understand your problem, Mr. Client. I, I hear your frustration that things aren't getting done. However, are things getting done? Because there are probably things going on behind the scenes that are happening, that are moving things forward, and there might be a reason why things are slowing up. Um, and I think it probably just pointing back to some of those old cliches of quotes from Einstein. You know, thinking about the problem before you actually try yeah. to solve it, and there's the sharpening of the ax one, you know, sharpen the ax before, yeah, all of that stuff. um, It's just about actually preparing and thinking things through and anyone can launch a new product and it fail. Mm. You know, that's, it's easy, anyone can do that. And just banging your hand on the table going, well, get it out there. Mm. Are you really being an effective leader like that? Probably not. And are you gonna get a successful product? You might do, if Mm. you're lucky. Mm. Um, there's no guarantees I think stepping back and really understanding the human in that equation and challenging people on you know there's actually a lot of shit out there people are dealing with lots of complexity in their lives are they going to engage with this new thing that you're banging your hand on the table to get out there when actually they've already got plenty of other shit on their plate mm. in order to reach that person and convince them to use something new there's that understanding and appreciation for the fact that they might not want you know, yes they want to solve that problem mm. but they might not want to interact and learn a new product mm-hmm. or a new service. Yeah. yeah. And there's a barrier there just in the just in the getting shit done in your own life yeah. and the day to day stresses and complexities that we have, that engaging with a new product is usually quite complex. Yeah. There's there's financial implications, there's time, there's headspace, there's all sorts of things that encompass that. So I think taking a step back and really understanding how how are, how do we solve the user adoption problem with this? How do we make it so that it's a prod, product, service, whatever, that really solves somebody's problem and that they can visibly see that if I adopt this thing, it's really gonna save me time, it's yeah. really gonna improve my life, it's really gonna do whatever it is. Because if they can't see it, and the barrier just feels a little bit too big, Q and it's big. not totally obvious, yeah. they're not gonna adopt it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and every product gets to the point of user adoption, Yeah, and it will either get adopted or it won't. Yeah. Um, so I think what I often talk about is taking it back to, right, how can we influence user adoption yeah. with this thing, Yeah. and throwing it out the door and hoping for the best and slapping those marketing on it, yeah. doesn't solve that problem. No, now you not. might get some early adopters there who, would, who like exploring new things, the majority of us sort of you know everyday adults who have got kids and jobs and mm. you know shit going on adoption for me is a slow process yeah and i have to be convinced
0: convinced yeah 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 and and, and 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 through through it talks about empathy and empathy is an often overused word isn't it but used by people who don't really understand it i think but being able to understand the situations, the context, we talk a lot about context, I mean the contextual situations people find themselves in, Mm -hmm. including people who just want to get shit out there. It's, yeah, that's your secret, huh? That's why you turn people around.
1: Well, I don't know about that. Well, you do. (laughs) You're very good at it. Yeah. But uh, but I do think, yeah, you're right about empathy. It's very uh, overused and it's not a step in a process. No, it's not a step in a process, Um, no. it's It's a skill we've all got. Train ourselves to be better at. Yeah. Um, I think I think there is an argument. To say you can get almost too empathetic. Yeah. And be a little bit wrapped up in the emotion of the problem. Yeah. And actually yeah, yeah, yeah. not. You know, you have to be a certain way in. Yeah. But not totally in because then you can't totally see the solution. Be, de-
0: be Kind of um, not uncompassionate, but you can can decouple
1: yourself from mm-hmm. it. That's
0: what you need to do, right? It's
1: being objectively empathetic.
0: Yeah on that note objectively empathetic <laughs> that's been 40 minutes we only said we were going to do half an hour um we'll, we'll, we'll take that over to the next one we'll definitely do another one thank you mate that's it brilliant thank you very much hey so um so that was it i hope you enjoyed it um yeah it was a, we were only meant to do it for 30 minutes and um damien humored me for, for another 10 to 12 minutes longer so i'm very grateful for that um, I hope um, uh, you picked up on, as, as I did when we were talking, around um, Damien, Damien started a lot of the sentences with his answers with, um, I'm not sure really, I don't know. But actually, um, he does know. And he does know a hell of a lot. And he's got a really good view. And um, he's very perceptive in terms of um, how humans and technology are beginning to come together and how businesses can benefit from that without it being unethical or immoral. And um, uh I'm sure you, you 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 realised and um, absolutely gained quite a lot as I did from from Damien's answers. Um, yeah, I'm hoping to get him on again with with a couple of you guys who are listening in the future for a roundtable um, chat and discussion um, as well. I'll keep this this really short this uh, this episode. So um, there's another podcast coming out in the next two or three weeks. Uh, another newsletter coming out in the next week or so. I'm looking a little bit more at some of the big. Um, uh, tech chance and how their um uh, technology and their behavior is kind of really starting to influence um uh, not just whole markets but whole societies uh, riveting stuff i'm sure you agree but hopefully you'll get something out of it um until then um i hope uh, you and your families stay well um and hopefully enjoy the the spring weather that hopefully will soon be upon us so thanks for listening and um, take care of yourselves and speech. to you soon cheers